Welcome in to the DNVR Rockies podcast presented by Strava Craftcom. Oh, I don't think I'm on. I keep doing that. Okay. I keep unplugging the, the microphone right as I start. Let's try that again. Hello, everyone coming in on the live. <clears throat> Take two. Welcome into the DNVR Rockies podcast brought to you by Strava Craft Coffee. Remember to use that promo code DNVR20 because you'll get 20% off your entire purchase of that CBD infused and deliciously rich and potentially life altering Strava Craft Coffee. I am your host, Drew Creaseman. I am the managing editor of DNVR Rockies. Patrick Lyons, beat writer, will be along shortly to join us for this conversation of a two-to-one loss to the Houston Astros, two in a row that were coin flip games where the Colorado Rockies got excellent starting pitching in the first game, obviously, from Kyle Freeland, here in this one from Antonio Sensatella, where... Again, two games in a row, the strike zone became a part of the conversation, uh, especially with a key call that went against Trevor Story there late. And then the new extra innings rule coming into play majorly in this one. Looks like Patrick is all ready to join us here. So, Patrick, uh, another tough one to take. The Rockies have lost seven of their last nine. These coin flip games, as, as I started calling them, um, seem to be going not 50-50 for or against the Colorado Rockies, but 80-20, at least in the last couple of weeks here. Uh, Rachel wants to know, time to panic? I don't think so, not yet. Um, you know, these games, as you said, have been close coin coin flips, uh, to use your, your phrase, but the law of averages say, well, they're going to be, 50-50. Um, we know a third of the season, you're going to win those games. A third, you're going to lose. And these third, uh, right here in the middle, kind of these coin flip games are really where a bulk of their season is going to be made up. Now, some of those are just games you're going to lose. Uh, you may have even, going into this week, put an L right on Tuesday because you saw Zank Greinke was going. And you go, yeah. all right, that's going to be a loss until Antonio Senzatella goes out and matches him in almost every way. Had one less strikeout. Otherwise, identical pitching lines. Uh, same thing for a guy like Lance Lynn, who doesn't get quite enough love. So, right. you know, the Rockies have been up against it once in a while, and you can't expect them to, to go out and, and defeat some of those teams. But they've been competitive along the way. It's really those days in between. It's it's Monday's ball game with, with Kyle Freeland on the hill and a guy like, you know, Brandon Belak, who doesn't have quite the same pedigree or you know losing that that final game in Seattle and and so those are the games maybe that are more important this one you learn a little something about uh, strategy when it comes to these extra inning games and you just you chalk it up to the team with a little bit more experience as far as getting the job done you know it's funny you mentioned those Patrick when Tapia drove in the first run of the game I was ready to come on here and talk about this being the opposite of those, this being an inverse of exactly the games you just listed where they stole one because you don't expect them. And I did say on yesterday's podcast that, believe it or not, this is going to be a pitcher's duel 
and a total toss-up between Antonio Senzatella and Zach Greinke, which if you'd have said that a year ago, people would have called you nutso for suggesting that Senzatella versus Greinke is a toss-up, and that's exactly what it was. They pitched each other to a stalemate. You really cannot argue, I think, that either guy pitched the better or worse game. It was for fans of two completely different styles of pitching, you could teach this in schools. You could take this game, and if you top out at 88 in, in high school, and but you know, you've know you got a lot of wicked movement, and you think you can work the edges, and you think you're smart, and you think you know what the other guy is expecting, and you can work to his weaknesses or to your strengths, watch Zach Granke and take some notes because the guy is making a borderline Hall of Fame career out of doing that, and he did it extraordinarily well today where Antonio sends a tell if you're like if you think you've got 97 in you and you can bring 95 with relative ease and now you've got these big wipeout slider and curveball pitches and this developing changeup that you're starting to play with like it's a toy you discovered at Christmas time all of a sudden Antonio sends a allows three weak ass singles in eight innings of otherwise dominant baseball to be your king of the game. Remember to use that promo code DNBR DraftKings Sportsbook. But boy, oh boy, Patrick, what a performance from Antonio Senzatello. They keep getting outings like that out of him. This team's going to be just fine. Yeah, he, you know, again, we're talking about going toe-to-toe with with Granke, who I think now at this point he is a Hall of Famer. He still has maybe a, a little more tidying up to do, throw a couple more you know, wins, strikeouts, you know, those counting stats, things. Say, I got to go look, yeah. But I I think he's there, especially just from this generation. Um, Matched him in every way. Uh, After that double play that uh, Arenado hit into, again, Greinke fielding his position. There's a reason why he's won six gold gloves uh, at the pitcher's spot, very akin to what a guy like Greg Maddox did for many years, although he won about three times as many uh, during his career. But – Again, going toe-to-toe like that, uh, from that point on, Greinke retired every batter. So 14 straight to end uh, his eight innings. Well, Antonio Senzatella retired 13 out of 14. So again, any way you cut it, you've got an ace and what I believe is a Hall of Famer going out and shoving eight innings. And you say, well, all right, certainly there's no way Senzatella can match him. And he absolutely did. And when he got that... Final out, that strikeout on a pitch 170, just slapped that mitt. And, and you had to feel really good for a guy who's making the case that, hey, you know what? Maybe he does have the upside of a number two starter. Yeah. Just real quickly, I, I know it's the Rockies podcast or whatever, but I just realized that I may actually be gaining my ability to vote for the Hall of Fame right around the time that Zach Greinke becomes eligible. He's got 206 wins and 123 losses. He's pitched 2,893.1 innings with a career ERA of 335. The FIP right there, remarkably consistent at 337. They might as well be identical. And the ex-FIP, again, might as well be identical. 351, Patrick. He's got a FWAR from Fangraphs of 61.3 in his career. So like you said, those are that that's a Hall of Famer, and maybe he's got a pitch a couple more years to get some of those counting stats that guys like uh where were the strikeouts 
uh, really quick because he's like twenty six for... forty something like that. Yeah. So he's he's going to approach three thousand. He's he might get that. Uh, I think twenty six forty. I think only Justin Verlander is the only other guy that has two hundred wins that's active right now. And you know, if you open up a newspaper, Justin Verlander isn't actually active. So Zach Greinke uh, is currently yep. uh, the leader coming out of the clubhouse in in those uh, in that category of wins. So you know, again. Baseball Reference does a good job of um, kind of comparing. They, they use a system called JAWS, uh, created by Jay Jaffe of Fangraphs. And uh, according to that system, which is does a fantastic job and is kind of one of those main elements for how Larry Walker got into the Hall of Fame, people realizing, well, now hold up. Let's really crunch these numbers and look, because the counting stats aren't really there for Walker because of his injuries. But let's let's look at those other you know, uh, details and facets of his game. That what that's what helped get Larry Walker in uh, was was Jaws. And according to Jaws, Zach Greinke is currently the 36th best pitcher of all time. He's actually right behind Verlander at 33, just ahead of yep. Clayton Kershaw at 37, uh, and with a possibly a few more good years, uh, could pass uh, the likes of starting at number 31, Nolan Ryan, Tom Glavin, 30, Mike Messina, and Kurt Schilling. So. He's right there, whether whether you, you think of him as being dominant or not, he's dominant. And to bring it back to your guy, those of you listening to this, either on the podcast later on or live on the YouTube, hopefully everyone's subscribed to that so you don't miss these post games almost immediately after the games are final. The point is to say that Antonio Sensatella matched him in every way out there. in the Well, in his own way, because he doesn't pitch in the same style as we talked about earlier but was just as good at flummoxing a lineup full of guys who've got all-stars and silver sluggers and a lot of them a World Series championship, however we may all feel about that, on their mantle place. And and so I don't think they all get a piece of the World Series. I don't think it works quite like that. But still, you understand what we're saying here. It was a remarkable performance from Sensatella. And that really does have to be the biggest headline moving forward. I see a lot of people saying, you know, uh, a little too much, a little too late again, saying this loss crushes my soul. I hate the extra innings rule. We'll get to that in a minute. Did you say uh, that after Toppy is hit? Because I wasn't. Right, I was like, right. okay, this oh, is a nice little rule. Rymel Tapia, how do you do? Sam coming in with, why am I a Rockies fan? That was no fun. But <laughs> you're you're a Rockies fan because these always feel like uphill battles. And when you win them, it's that much more sweet. And they were that close today. Again, from, from this kid who came in as a 25-year-old who, you know, after a year where he, I think he had like a 657 ERA a year ago. And I think a lot of Rockies fans wouldn't have blinked or thought second if Sensatella had been cut, which was never in the cards. You know what I mean? Like that was never, uh, the Rockies believed in him as much as I did, if not more. But still, if he had shown up and not been on the roster, they just kind of traded him for cash or something. I don't think too many Rockies fans would have been in an outrage over the loss of Antonio Sensatella. And for him to go out there and do what he did today and match up with Granky, with good Granky, with on his Granky, and force it basically to become a coin flip decided by the bullpens and, in this case, the, that extra innings rule and a little bit of the luck of the draw, you know, if that last liner is a little bit one way or the other it's a an easy out and and bud black looks like a genius for bringing the five infielders in and uh you know you never know if you still get out of it from there but 
tough one, man. But yeah, you, you gotta, in fact, I'll go ahead and crack open this Breck brew. Not the no avalanche amber. Yeah, no right? No sound effects. That was some just great Foley work. Nice job. And I don't mean Mick. Ooh. That was some oh. excellent oh. job there. Darn it. I was, I was going <laughs> to say, I'll throw myself off the top of the hell in a cell in just a minute. But before that, I got to drink this avalanche amber because it's tasty and it celebrates a team that's actually winning right now. Oh, brutal. But no, it's really good beer. You know, one of my favorite places to drink it is down at the DNVR bar, but the best place to get it it's from the farmhouse. You call 303-803-1380 from noon to 8 p.m. for pickup or, yeah, just for the pickup. The other thing was delivered. Sorry. Just for pickup. Use that code DNVR for five bucks. You can save off of the food and the beer, both of them at the same time. Really, really good stuff from the farmhouse. And you can toast this one to Antonio Sensatello. Yeah, there's a reason why at 22 years old he made an opening day roster. Right. And you're you're starting to see that now, you know. There was uh, something I included in the game recap. Uh, for anyone who's subscribing, you can go ahead and, and, and look at that. It was one of those ordeals where it could go either way. Hey, this was one of those great Rockies wins where they came through late. Or, ah, this was gut-wrenching, and unfortunately it was gut-wrenching. But one of the uh, interesting statistics that was in there was uh, basically how... Antonio Cinzentella has been one of the best, you know, ground ball pitchers in the game since his debut in 2017. He has a 50% ground ball rate that ranks fifth in the National League. And, you know, this is a guy who pitches at Coors Field, too, where, you know, the modus operandi is to, to get underneath a ball and, you know, the, the altitude and, and will, will do the rest for you. And yet he's been so successful with those ground balls and you finally uh, begin to, to see what he's – doing right now with, with these quality starts and now he's he's approaching some rarefied air he has a lot further to go to to touch on what Ubaldo Jimenez did in 2010 but for how he started uh, this season with with consecutive quality starts you know going three and0 he's very much kind of doing those things statistically and I think to a degree on the field as well maybe not striking out guys at the same rate as Ubaldo but uh, he's he's certainly making that case to say I might be the number four starter, but go ahead and check your history books because I'm trying to do some real big things this year. Well, and he's gone from a four strikeout a game guy to a six or seven strikeout a game guy, and that's huge. He's no, he's not Ubaldo with the nine, you know, right. you know, stuff like that. But yeah, like he's really wow. He has made himself into a, a remarkable major league pitcher, and it, and it's showing off so far this season. Melissa coming in saying. Uh, should the runners on second base count toward the pitcher's ERA when they score in extras? As I learned today, I wasn't sure about this, but they do not, um, which I think is fair. Um, but it does create a very odd statistical reality. Uh, Patrick, do you know, because uh, Story scored, right, a run there. That Does that count toward our bet? He gets a run scored, I would imagine, still. It's still his... a run, yes. It's, yes everything right. that happens in, this, in the extra innings counts the only workaround that they've done is for pitcher stats because you're right that doesn't that wouldn't be fair um right so it's it's almost which is kind of the point runner. of why the system yeah is. they're they're treating almost yeah. as if it was an error or an inherited runner so yeah right. that that wouldn't go against now that being said when you come up with a guy on second base you're doing things a little bit differently and then you give up that second run again that goes against you but if that that First guy on second base, I don't know if we're calling it the ghost runner or the designated runner, 
But if that guy was never there, you might have had a much easier inning and not given up an earned run. As yeah. it were, you know, the guys on second base, you might give up two runs, so that's going to be one earned run on your record. But Almonte did a good job keeping that down. Diaz was kind of in a you know, no-win situation, a good job on the sacrifice bunt, the intentional walk. Uh, and he, he was just kind of he was kind of stuck there a little bit. I, I don't put too much of it on him. Yeah, it, it's tough, too, in that point. Tanner coming and asking, I know that you're rightfully a fan of the Rockies hitters working the count, but Hampson shouldn't have taken so many pitches in his extra innings A-B. That, that, that's a tough spot that he's in there for sure. Uh, I know what you're saying. A strikeout there is really, really tough. Uh, but against a guy who's got such a big wicked curveball that he was throwing that scrub was bringing out there um he's in a tough place there i i i I don't know it's easy to second guess at that point and you got to try to put the ball in play one way or another but you can be a little bit more aggressive in that situation but with the way scrub was throwing that curveball off the plate a lot i didn't mind the patience but it did it did back him up a little bit, and you saw he wasn't ready for the fastball that got him. Yeah, the result obviously was was disappointing because Walters did his job, moves the runners over, and you go, wow, all right, there might this might be a multiple run inning. Then again, yeah, four straight knuckle curves by by Scrub, who started out pitching like one, but in the end, uh, he was not a Scrub uh, after all. And yeah, that one that one was a big one. But I think the the turning point, and and you might have even led off to this, was the 2-1 pitch to Trevor Story in that next at-bat. That was, I think, the moment of the game, maybe even more so than the defining one of Straw's walk-off hit in the 11. Yeah, so I spent so much time talking about Rob Drake yesterday, and by the way, totally slipped my mind that that was an umpire I had already written an article suggesting he should have lost his job in the offseason because of off-the-field nonsense that showed a lack of judgment and temperament, which he again showed in game one of this series by instigating with Kyle Friedland and then calling what were clearly, and I I saw on Twitter, like pretty much everyone was like, those were clearly vindictive strike calls (laughs) against Daniel Murphy or the ball against Kyle Freeland. But anyway, I didn't feel like any of the, that was going on uh, out there today, that, that any of it, no, nothing got personal. Uh, the strike zone was wide all day. Um, it did benefit Zach Greinke quite a bit more, but it benefited Antonio Sensatella a couple of times. But the call, and I'll do what I did yesterday. I'll go ahead and I'll share my screen here on the Baseball Savant page. And, and bring it up one more time, because the, the call you're talking about against Trevor's story, this is egregious, this call here. This is, if you're looking at that, that's two, maybe three baseball lengths off of the plate. Not even close. It dramatically altered the nature of that at bat with two runners on for the Rockies' best hitter, <laughs> Uh, that should have gone into a 3-1 count. The next pitch was a curveball just on the outside edge that if you're in a 3-1 count, you just let that thing go and, and you let the umpire call it a strike or not. You, you live to see if he can throw another perfect pitch, but in the, the spot that story was now in a 2-2 count instead of a 3-1 count, 
He had to take a very defensive swing against it and basically took the bat out of his hands in the most important at-bat of the game for the Rockies. The most important call of the game was egregiously bad. <laughs> yeah, when he stepped to the to the plate, um, my instinct was to say that he was going to hit a double in that spot because he's he's been having a lot of you know memorable moments in Texas. He, he thrives there, you know, in his, in his home state in many ways, and it just seemed fitting that again with with Tapia coming through in the tenth to score that run after everything Sinzatella had done. This is like a textbook game for Colorado to come away with the victory, and who better to do that than one of the you know the, the heart of their team? You know what I mean? So right. Set do do for that double, and then yeah, the the two one pitch goes the way it does, and instead of three one, it's two two, and and totally changed the complexity of, of the game. Story took it in, in stride with Grace, you know, stepped out, you know, right before uh, the next pitch came in, but that was kind of the the damning one. If you go and look, um, I don't I don't know the the batting averages off the top of my head, but it's markedly different between a three one yes. count and a two yes. two count. Uh, it could even be as close as a hundred points, and I'm if you're sure talking it's about more. A, yeah, yeah, if you're talking about a star player like like Trevor Story again, you know that that could be again. If you're looking at OPS, you know what are you doing in that hit? And for Story, he's hitting extra bases, and again, those two runs could have been absolutely everything. You change your approach in the bottom of the eleventh inning because you've got right. a run to give up, and then now you're not loading the bases, bringing Chris Owings in to play as a fifth infielder, and you know the rest is history. So that was. Uh, unfortunately, a, a pivotal moment that you've got back-to-back games here, you know, two games and ultimately 24 hours that in many ways was decided by the umpiring. Now, make no two ways about it. Rockies have to win those games. They, they, they lost those games, period. When you're going back and you're reviewing those things and you have to talk about the storylines, you have to talk about the umpiring a little bit, and that's just unfortunate. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm glad you said that because that's that's what I tried to say last night. It's like, look, it'd be great to never talk about this stuff. I don't ever want to talk about it ever again. And we hadn't yet all year, as much as I maybe mentioned one or two here or there, but I certainly hadn't spent 10 minutes or as long as we did just now talking about this call because to the point this year, maybe I send a tweet here that go, ah, Blue, you, you missed that one. But it doesn't become a, a story. And now two days in a row, it has become a story and that's really unfortunate and it's it's also unfortunate that we'll probably not hear anything you know here mark just writing in on twitter why is the umpiring this season so bad i feel like almost every game i have followed has really bad calls and even announcers are commenting on it during broadcasts and you know we've talked about how there are more ball players out there making errors and you know, strikeouts are up, and I think a lot of this has to do with the, just the weirdness of the season and the no fans and the long layoff and the not a normal spring training and all of those things that we've talked about. Um, and, and I think that that's impacting the umpires as well, which is just another great argument in favor of <laughs> electronic strike zones because they don't need a spring training to get ready to go. Uh, but, yeah. Yeah, the summer camp obviously was... was- challenging for everyone involved and although we're sitting here in in mid to late august players aren't playing quite like it it's still early in the season for them but for the umpires where did they go you know the the players had inter-squad games right you had 60 guys 50 to 60 guys in camps that you can play games against where are umpires going now granted once those inter-squad games started up at Coors Field you did see some umpires come down uh, and do those games but they they've gotten much less reps 
I think, than what they're typically used to than the players. So, you know, that that's certainly a large factor, and you know, there's there's nothing you can do about it. Hopefully, those guys get in mid-season form uh, by the playoffs, and if Angel Hernandez is doing the playoffs, that mid-season form is going to be something fun to watch. Boy, oh boy. And, you know, some people were asking last night, and, and I've seen a little bit of it today, you know, what about just the the putrid offense they're not scoring runs but again i can only take them to task so much i've, I've got to keep it as grounded in the facts as possible and some of the facts were one zach Greinke is a hall of fame pitcher as we laid out and he pitched a very good game and two rockies also hit the ball hard several times again and just could not get the babip luck out there i said yesterday they got to stop hitting the ball to center field go to left or right that's where you get hits here but again center field just crushed him out there. Trevor Story hit the ball hard three times, 98 miles, 98.8, so 99 miles an hour, 98 miles an hour, and 102 miles an hour, no hits on the day. Uh, Charlie Blackman had one base hit. It was a soft base hit, but he had that 102-mile-an-hour line drive to lead off the first bit of extras with Trevor Story there. To send, just But it was to center field. If that's in the gap a little bit one way. Expected batting average on that hit, Patrick, 820. That's impressive. Yeah. But and conversely. Straw, that dude runs stuff down in center field, I will say. Well, yeah, bringing up Straw, conversely, he, had, he was the hero of the game there for Houston. Went two for five. No hard hit balls. So, again, you got legs like that underneath you. You're going to make things happen. Right. Uh, Daniel Murphy had a scorcher that went right at a guy at 96 miles an hour. Uh, Toppy obviously hit the ball hard and, and got a run for it. Uh, Nolan Arenado had a, a hard hit ball in the day. Yeah, the bottom part of the lineup continues to struggle a little bit. Ryan McMahon with the three strikeout day. Sam Hilliard getting in there as a late addition and striking out a couple times, but did draw a walk late. So, uh, you know, but again, it's you can only take the offense to task so much in, in a game like this, especially when you look over at the other side and go, well, the Houston Astros have a lot of talented hitters, and they weren't exactly pouring on the hits and runs out there today either. It was good pitching, and a wide strike zone is going to lead to a, a low-scoring game just about every time, and that's what happened out there today. I, th- I think the real snag of the offense right now whether whether you like to admit it or not, is Nolan Arenado, and you know, Buddy talked about it this That's morning that he's been pressing and he's just he hasn't been coming through when he's needed to. And you you saw him in that that one at bat where he that was, was real jumpy, um, just didn't look. He looked comfortable on his face, but his body language told a completely different story. Yep. And again, when 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 Trevor is is going out and you know homering uh, as frequently as, as he's been, and he's got seven on the year. And Charlie Blackman's hitting 500. You can go without your number four hitter being as productive um, as he typically is. But now you're seeing the effects of that, where Nolan has had numerous opportunities and he's just hasn't been coming through. And I, I don't know what that that block is for him, you know, mentally or emotionally, whatever it is. But he's really been, I think, that key piece for why these close games have been been coming up and. They're what two and six during that stretch. So yeah. uh, it's it's unfortunate to have to say because typically that really hasn't been the story. Where even when he had he's been in a slump, you go he's been in a slump. That happens. 
Charlie, Trevor picks him up for, for you know, uh, longer periods at a time. But with this shortened season, it makes a, a really bad stretch like this uh, of a week, you know, magnifies it all even more. And maybe that's where all that pressing is coming from, knowing, you know, mathematically each game is worth three times as much. So if I'm struggling for three games straight, that's a week and a half. And yeah. now game four is only game four, but to him he's maybe thinking, shoot, now this is going on two weeks if I don't get a big hit here. And you see him swinging at a ball up and out of the zone like he did today. Well, he's not going to get a $35 million contract from a different team if he keeps hitting like this, Patrick. I'll put it that way. How about that? Fair. All the questions about whether or not Nolan's going to take his opt-out and go somewhere else and do the thing. How about, how about if no, you're, you're 100% right, and that has to be brought up because he's not getting it done right now. And that Rymel Tapia had a far more under control at bat in a key situation late than did Nolan Arenado is very head scratching <laughs> in both ways, really. Um, actually, Tapia has always been really good in the clutch and, and he did an extraordinary job there. I was kind of shocked that they couldn't tell that after rolling a few over to second base, Tapia had taken the approach that he was going to hit the ball in the air. You saw in the first pitch, he thought it was a fastball low, it was a changeup, but he went down and tried to golf it. He was not going to roll over and hit the ball to second. So I thought, okay, fastball up and in, because there's no way with the approach Tapia went up there with, he's going to cover that pitch. But they threw him a slider low, figuring maybe he'll chase it again if they just get it low. But it hung a tiny little bit, and Tapia went, I am getting the barrel to this, and it that's his contact approach almost won the Rockies a ball game almost bailed out Nolan Arenado for not being able to get a runner in from third with less than two away uh it's a really solid approach there for him one of the the nice stories of this losing stretch for the Rockies and and their offense yeah and and it's the situation that he was in not so much the fact that hey there's a guy on third base you have an opportunity to drive him in it was the fact that they chose the Astros said no no that's okay, Daniel Murphy. We'll give you first base. Right. Let's take this kid from the Dominican Republic, 26 years old. We saw what he did in his earlier at-bats. He's not going to be able to adjust. We've got this one. This is the matchup that we want. And he said, oh, you want me? You want a piece of this? Yeah. And he went out and he delivered. So it was it was particularly the, the context of which he had come through that was so huge that you said, wow, this is how the story should be written with Senzatella going eight innings, matching Zach Greinke, going toe-to-toe against a team that had been in the World Series two out of the last three years. Notice I didn't say won the World Series, uh, but was there for two of the last three years. They were certainly there. And and then Tapia comes in and, and finishes the job. Like That was how the story should have been, uh, and it's very unfortunate that it's not going that way because it really seemed... That was the story of the first two weeks is everything was going their way. And I wouldn't say now everything is not going their way, but there's enough that isn't going their way. Certainly just, in Houston, mm-hmm. yeah. Cer- certainly these last two games. We talked about, and, and that's again where I try to make those distinctions because it's, it, it's really important that we draw a line between when the Rockies lose and there's a little bit of bad luck involved and there's a little bit of things that are outside their control, whether it's the umpiring or whatever it may be, bad hit luck versus when we take them to task for that final game in Seattle that they blew, that they lost, that they messed up. When we go over their bad approach against Kyle Gibson, game two against the Rangers, bad offensive approach. You cannot do that. 
Um, these two games in Houston, when searching for objective things to criticize about how the Rockies approached and played the game, I feel like there's honestly a very limited number of things to point to. You've got to keep playing this brand of baseball. And this is kind of where I finished um, last night with Jesse. And so I'll, I'll get your thoughts on it as well, Patrick. We've talked a lot about how you know, 2017 and 2018 looked certain ways. And then 2019 had this other feel about it, right? And for some of the ugly losses, the way Davis blown save, um, and maybe that game where they gave up eight runs to the Diamondbacks in the eighth inning, those felt like 2019 losses, which make you go, oh, right? These two losses to the Astros, to me, felt like 2017 and 2018 losses. One runs, one run late to a team who's really good, a lot of good players, could have gone your way if, you know, that first inning double in game one for Freeland. They don't get that. Could be a one nothing win for your Rockies like they had in 2018 on the road against the Dodgers and teams like that when they were good. And so to me, these still feel more like your 17-18 Rockies, except, of course, that they lost. Though, remember, in 18, they lost plenty of frustrating one-run games as well. They just had 162 games scheduled to make up for it. So both of these teams are now 13-10. and 10. Two more against each other here these next couple of days. Back at Coors Field for the Rockies to try to get a little payback. Yeah, you know, you, you might even say that because in, in 17 and 18 they went to the playoffs. So, you know, they won more of these kind of close games than they lost. You could almost say that this was a loss indicative of the 2016 Rockies. A team that, you know, just narrowly missed playing 500 baseball. 75 wins. So, you know six games that kind of goes their way they're at 500 they're a team you know again comprised of a lot of of these players as far as young guys go but again completely different in in, in all other contexts but just ultimately a team that wasn't ready yet and couldn't win those close ball games that you go wow i'm surprised they're in this game and they lose it and you go that's okay they're going to get better and they did in 17 and 18 and now is just the time where, yeah, they have all of the ability to win these games. You don't go in thinking they're definitely going to win this. They're definitely going to lose it. You got to tell us. And right now, in during this stretch, they're they're communicating that they're not entirely that team that we saw those first two weeks put away games like this and you know do it in a fashion that it, that it got their run differential up to you know twenty three, I think, at it, at its peak. Yeah. Uh, Asiel, this is maybe the comment of the year, or at least I'm mad I didn't write this sentence before you did. It's hard because I think we have urgency bias, he says, but have to think of the big picture. 100%. You have to be urgent, but you also have to think of the big picture. And these are tough ones, but you know we may look back on them as blips in the road. We may look back on them as... Uh, the beginning of the end. And so we'll see, but I don't think so because of the starting pitching. And that's, that's really what it comes down to is like, that's what makes it feel like 17 and 18 for me, because the starting pitching continues to be consistent quality. And as long as that's the case, 
you know, you're going to win some of these. Nolan Arenado is going to get a big hit here and there. David Dahl is going to come out of his funk. Stuff like that's going to happen. And so um, I'm not overly – and as who was it that set up here earlier? And also eight teams are going to make the playoffs. So while you may be concerned that the Colorado Rockies aren't going to win the division this year when maybe they could have stolen it from the Dodgers, and they maybe could have, and they maybe still could, they're in a fine spot to be right there, to play really anybody in a first-round playoff matchup. And if they're pitching like this, then all those games will be toss-ups too. Yeah, precisely right. That was going to be my point, that there's eight teams, so you've, you've got this wiggle room, and there isn't that sense of urgency where if you're playing for the wild card, you go, oh, my gosh. Each Again, we know each game is, is worth three times as much, and uh, and the impact on, on playoff odds and things of that nature. But with eight teams getting in, you go, okay, you can have a little bit of a lull right now and still be fine and rebound. And, and they're still in, in really good shape at three games over 500, um, you know, at, at 565 winning percentage. So uh, you just have to be a little bit weary of the Diamondbacks who went into today, you know, with, with a five-game win streak. They're one of those teams the Padres obviously aren't going away. And so it might seem crazy to, to think, four teams from the West could make the playoffs and, and maybe that'll, that'll be the case. But, you know, once they start playing a lot more of these, you know, interdivisional games here, uh, the stretch coming up on Friday against the Dodgers in LA diamondbacks, still a, a slew of games against the NOS. That's entirely what the month of September is. In fact, I'm not sure they play anybody else. Uh, that's not in the, the, the NL West that at, in the final month of the season. So yeah, it's, it's, you don't have that same urgency, but you know, once once they sort it out a little bit, you're right, Drew. This idea that you know pitching wins ball games and pitching wins in the postseason, and right now they've got that pitching. It's they're not losing because of that. Um, right. They're losing in, in, in spite of it in many ways. So uh, that does get you excited and say, hey, when you get into the postseason, all bets are off. And that's why this game really isn't a game you look back on that much if you make the playoffs because you go well if we would have won then all right we would have faced the the second best team in the nl whatever those matchups it doesn't matter at that point right it doesn't matter the only thing that matters is you're not the eighth seed and you're playing the dodgers it might even be a weird like we might be in this situation which we've never been in before but like in the nba and now that i'm learning a little bit in the nhl where when it gets down to the end of the season there might be a team that's a little bit lower of a seat or whatever, a different matchup where losing games is actually a good idea for you because you don't want to play whoever because you can't hit their starting pitcher. Now, of course, we have no idea, and you can't be playing that game now. But it's just funny to think that because of the the shortness of the season, we're extra stressing over every single game. But because of the expanded playoffs and because of seeding and the way pitching matchups work it may all end up not really being over much you may end up as one of the lower seeds getting a much more friendly matchup to your team from for whatever reason i'm trying to think of who the rockies would match up really well again but we'll we'll save that conversation for another time but you you just don't know and obviously you got to go out there and try to win every game that you can and and if you can keep pace with the dodgers do it but stay in the playoff race and you'll be just fine so here's how about this for the math? All right, each game is worth three times as much, but because there's almost twice as many 
playoff teams, that means each game is only worth half as much. Three divided by two, one and a half. There we go. So each game itself is 50% more valuable than last year, or it's worth a game and a half. I think it's that's right. Like six to the... Yeah. Do you, right. do you have your Scott Steiner calculator? Yeah, I because think I... Because if you, you punched yeah. it in, it'll be right. Yeah, I think I followed all that. So. <laughs> Uh, all right, that's that's all I got. That's all I know for today. Those are the things that I have become aware of on this day. Uh, we'll, we'll obviously keep right at it here for these next couple of games with the Houston Astros. The Rockies try to pull even with a couple at Coors Field. Make sure you're following us on social media for those at Drew Creaseman, at Patrick D. Lyons, at DNVR underscore Rockies, you got to subscribe to the DNVR.com so you don't miss out on any of that exclusive written content or any of the discounts on our merchandise, including this Larry Walker Hall of Fame shirt that I am currently rocking that you can see wow. if you're watching on the live YouTube channel. All kinds of other cool stuff, including hats and masks and just cool DNVR Rocky stuff or plenty of other sports teams if you're into the Nuggets, Broncos, Avs all that stuff. They're having good seasons. It's been fun. So other than that, we know it was a rough one, but guess what? Baseball again tomorrow. So we'll see you then. Just continue to be absolutely awesome out there. We will continue to be absolutely Drew Creaseman and Patrick Lyons in here. And until next time, we'll see you at the ballpark.